of God brings heaven to earth. It leaves culture upturned and the kingdom upright. The kingdom is pure and holy. It is blessed and set apart. It is righteous beyond all understanding. It is generous beyond earning. Our God's kingdom is good news. His kingdom is saving grace. It rattles our reality and shakes us awake. And it pours out of us as salt and as light. It brings perspective that changes the way we think. It brings vision that changes the way we see. It brings growth that changes who we are. It brings surrender that changes how we live. The kingdom is kindness that doesn't feel fake. And the kingdom is patience that doesn't make sense. It is forgiveness when it doesn't seem possible. It is for the poor in spirit, the lowly, and the persecuted. The kingdom is his, his kingdom is ours, and the kingdom of God is here. She read the headlines and her heart nearly stopped. Murder hornets found in Blaine, Washington. And she started thinking, well, wait a second. I've seen these really big wasps in my backyard. I live just a few miles down the road from this place. What if, what if those wasps are another set of murder hornets? My kids play in the backyard. What if they get stung? They could die. And her anxiety levels went up. She said, I can't think about it. So she continued scrolling on in her Facebook feed. And as she scrolled on, she saw a bizarre story, a two-headed snake was found in Florida. Now, both heads move independently. They eat independently. The tongues dart out independently. But it's a two-headed snake, nonetheless, that shares the same body. She's like, this is the end of the world. All these weird species are popping up. I can't think about it. She continued scrolling on. A huge meteor shower was, was due to hit in November, and it could cause blackouts across the country. And she goes, wait a second, blackouts in November. I've already bought all my groceries. I don't have a generator. What if I lose all of my food? At which time her son walks in and gives her a stack of bills and says, mom, the mail's here. And she looks at him with tears in her eyes and says, we don't have enough money to make it to the end of the month. Anxiety. He couldn't figure it out. He had flown thousands of times. In fact, in his nearly 30-year military career, he jumped out of airplanes for a big chunk of that time. He was a combat veteran, but when he pulled into the San Jose airport, he had a panic attack. He'd never had a fear of flying. He couldn't figure it out. It took him 30 minutes to come off of that ledge. Well, he got his bags, checked in at the airport, jumped on his airplane, and he said, that was weird. Anxiety. She's a leader without peer, an event planner, someone who can task organize and take a list of tasks and apply them to a bunch of people and lead them from point A to point B. To say she's excellent at her job is an understatement. But the thing is, is that most nights when she goes home and she goes to bed, at about 2 a.m., her eyes pop open and she starts thinking about all the next tasks she has to do, the vision that she has to cast. And she tosses and turns in her bed like a small boat in a hurricane. She gets up in the morning, pounds the coffee, and heads back in to work. Anxiety. Three real people, three real stories, all with a common thread. 
Have you ever considered, have you ever considered that all of us process this thing called anxiety differently based on our background, our experience, and also our foundation of faith? Such is what we're going to talk about today. In fact, if you get anything at all out of today's teaching, get this. You win the battle of anxiety in the margins of the mundane. You win the battles of anxiety in the margins of the mundane. What do I mean by that? You don't defeat panic, ta- panic attacks. You don't defeat anxiety in the middle of a panic attack. In fact, it, you, you build up that faith foundation so that you can fight the good fight of faith to, to push hard against worry and against anxiety. Well, God's got a lot to say about that. Now, just a few caveats before I start today's teaching. Here's the thing. Too often in life, we get guilted and shamed from the platform. We get guilted and shamed by well-meaning pastors who say, you have anxiety because you don't have enough faith and because you've got unconfessed sin. We're not going to be doing that today. I will say, though, that faith is a huge part, the key component to fighting anxiety. This is my fourth sermon in three years on anxiety. And in your sermon notes, I've put links to all of those previous sermons I've done, as well as a sermon series called Calm in the Chaos. We did it back in 2018. We spent four weeks pulling apart this beast called anxiety. This sermon is for most of you, probably 95% of you, who struggle with anxiety at the low to medium levels. But some of you are like me. At one point, I, I, I have PTSD, and at one point, it was out of control. And I had a lot of guilt and shame because of that. And I, I had a well-meaning pastor who didn't do it too well. Many years ago, he was in my face saying, you have unconfessed sin, you have anxiety, you have PTSD and anxiety because you lack faith. And what he didn't understand was that my brain was rewired because of post-traumatic stress. And it was a bigger picture than that. I'll, I'll touch on that briefly a little bit later. But I once heard an author say that God is not here to shame you. He's here to heal you. And that is so true that Jesus came to this earth to heal us, not to guilt and shame us. To heal us in so many different ways. Anxiety is one of those ways. So we're going to be talking about that today. This sermon is for the majority of you who are at that low to mid-level area of anxiety. Now, for those, that 5% of you that are at that high level of anxiety, you have panic attacks, heart palpitations, things of that nature, First thing I would recommend is that you get in touch with your doctor. And then secondly, send us an email at info at cornwallchurch.com. And and we can marry you up with a good Christian counselor uh, that can do Christian counseling and biblical counseling to help you with uh, work with your doctor and walk through this because you can get healing in this area called anxiety. We're going to be hanging out today in Matthew chapter 6. Verses 25 to 34. We're in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, most biblical scholars believe that it was a multi-hour, if not a multi-day affair. You think Pastor Bob's sermons are long? Oi. Yeah. So anyway, Jesus has been speaking for many, many hours. And he's he's been speaking about a lot of different things. The first thing he speaks about, about is how he has come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. He then starts speaking about matters of the heart, and he shifts gears. He starts talking about adultery, anger, divorce, how to love our enemies well. 
he shifts gears again and he talks about prayer and he talks about fasting. And then he does another gear shift and talks about money and materialism and specifically this thing called worry. And that's important because much of our worry is centered on provision, on provision. It seems when we we worry, we worry about three main areas, our health, our wealth, and our relationships. So much of our worry is centered on provision. And many of you guys get that now. Let's just use this COVID timeframe, the past eight months as an example. When COVID hit, many of you lost your jobs and that caused anxiety. You were unemployed or you were laid off. I I know stories of several of you who had to leave your family behind in one area so you could go to another area and make money to take care of your families. Some of you have had to deal with COVID-19 in a health way in that you didn't get COVID, but you had all sorts of medical procedures and even chemotherapy and other treatments set on, and you couldn't, you couldn't get those treatments done, and that caused anxiety. Many of you are in the healthcare field, and we are so thankful for you, but your job description changed greatly. You didn't sign up to do a specific thing, but now you're doing something totally different in the health field, and that caused anxiety. Some of you have suffered losses, losses in relationships, uh, losses in in marriages that have been falling apart. You've you've dealt with difficult times. Some of you, well, all of us have dealt with the, the difficulty of the election season. It seems like it will never end. And there's anxiety. Well, in the words of the great preacher Solomon, there's nothing new under the sun. So what I want us to do is we're gonna go back 2,000 plus years ago because Jesus has a whole lot to say about anxiety. Here we go. Matthew chapter 6, let's go to verse 25. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about your life. Circle that word worry. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? So Jesus goes right to the chase, cuts right to the chase, and he gives us a command. He says, do not worry. The overall theme here is trusting in God's provision. Well, what I love to do when I look at at, uh, any story from the Bible, I always want to make sure I put it into context, and I want to look at at, at sitting in the sandals of the Jewish audience that was listening to Jesus' words, because they had every right to worry about provision. Think about it. They had the the Roman military power occupying their country. When they would walk the roads of Palestine, so often they would see crucifixes and and crosses with, with dead people still on them. If you step out of line, this is what will happen to you. That could cause some anxiety. They were being ruled by a a government that was less than holy. Uh, They were levying heavy taxes on the people, and the people had a lot of angst about that. There were beggars in the street. To say it was a difficult time and a difficult place is an understatement. So Jesus says, don't worry about, about money. Don't worry about those types of things. Focus on God's provision. And it's so true for us too, because too often in life, what we can do is we can be so busy building a bank account and making a career that we fail to build on our foundations of faith. And faith is essential in the fight against anxiety. So Jesus gives those words. He says, do not worry about your life. Uh, so What I love to do when we're in the New Testament especially, I like to Greek out, I like to geek out. So we're going to hit a few of these words and pull them apart because our English language really can't get the nuance 
of what they mean. So he says, do not worry. It's a command in Greek. So he's saying, I'm telling you, I'm commanding you, do not worry. Think about this word worry. The word worry is a compound word. That means it's two words that come together as one. And the word is merim naus, merim naus. Say that with me, merim naus. Merim means divided and naus means mind. And isn't that what happens when we start worrying, when we get anxiety, our mind gets divided. It gets divided between what if and even if. Where what happens is our mind goes to the what if, that worst case scenario. What if, fill in the blank for whatever could be happening. And we perseverate on that. We focus on that. We hyper-focus on that. I started thinking about how, how this word merim naus sounds like our English word marinate. And they don't really mean the same thing, but it applies to the situation because think about this. Whenever you hit a difficult time that causes anxiety, you marinate on the problem. It's like you, you, you take your brain and soak it in anxiety sauce and then you throw it on the grill and you, you chow down on this poisonous steak that, that causes great anxiety and great worry. Are you marinating on a problem that you have right now? You see, there's a big difference between analyzing a problem and marinating on it in prayer and obsessing with a problem and marinating on it in worry. We tend to go to the land of what if, but Jesus says, no, 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 don't worry. Don't get your mind divided. Go to the land of even if. Don't you know that even if the worst thing happens that I'm going to take care of you? Don't you know that even if the worst thing happens, I'm going to walk you through whatever that may be. And you may not understand the end results of it, but I do. Don't you trust me that I will walk you through this into my arms, into eternity. I control all things and, and my hands hold all things together. So Jesus says that we have to beware. We have to beware of having this divided mind. We go to the land of even if, not the land of what if. Let me uh, give you an example of how that played out in my life uh, just a few weeks ago. Uh, many of you know that I've got three grandkids. My oldest uh, grandson, his name is Case. I love this kid. He and I have a very, very special relationship. And he was sitting next to me on the couch. We're watching YouTube videos and we were howling at these videos. They were so funny. And I said out loud, I said, God, thank you. This is a slice of heaven on earth. And immediately the enemy showed up. And he's like, yeah, Kip, he's a really cute kid, but what if he gets sick? What if he gets cancer? And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a second. I've walked with some families lately who have had incredible losses with their kids. I'm going, oh, what if that happens? And thank God, when we receive, uh, when we receive Jesus as our Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. And, and he gives us the ability to communicate with God immediately. And he pushes up against some stupid thoughts that we have. And, and it was immediately where the Holy Spirit said, Kip, what are you doing here? Go to the land of even if, not the land of what if. Don't you know that I love this little boy more than you could ever imagine? I realized my devotion was on the created rather than the creator. Live in the land of even if, not the land of what if. So Jesus continues. He's talking about God's provision. Verses 26 and 27. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. So he's talking about provision here. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life. So he's saying, listen, God's going to provide. And then what he does, and Jesus does this in the Sermon on the Mount with other teachings also. He goes from the lesser, talking about birds, to the greater, talking about us. In Luke chapter 12, Luke gives us a little bit more detail with this. 
And, and he says that, that, Jesus says, consider the ravens. And we're not talking about the nasty football team from Baltimore. We're talking about the ravens, an unclean bird in the Jewish people's eyes. He says, consider the ravens. If God's going to take care of them, don't you think he's going to take care of you even more? Then Jesus quotes the raven, nevermore. Let that sink in. What we have to do is focus on God's provision what he provides us overall, forgiveness, unconditional love, purpose, and value. Jesus continues on, verses 28 through 30. He says, and why do you worry about clothes? Once again, provision. See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spend, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, Will he not more, much more clothe you? And underline this, and I want to step into this very, very carefully. O you of little faith. Jesus puts it into perspective for us. He says, remember Solomon. Now, again, this is a Jewish audience. And the Jewish audience understands completely when he mentions the word Solomon, who Solomon was. He was a rock star. He was the richest man in the world. His closet was full of rock star clothes. And he says, if Solomon has these rock star clothes, they pale in comparison to God clothing the birds in the air and the lilies of the field. And then he says, oh, you of little faith. Remember, Jesus is not here to shame us. He's here to heal us. And too often when we read those words, and many times, like in my case, like when I had that pastor in my, faith, my, fa in my face, he had that knife hand going, oh, you of little faith. And that's not the character of Jesus. Jesus is not saying, oh, you of little faith, your character stinks. Your faith stinks. He doesn't say that at all. Jesus came to heal us, not to shame us. This is what I picture when Jesus says that. And I just use my, uh, my experience uh, going through post-traumatic stress and how anxious I was and the worry that I had in my life. It's as if he has those two nail-pierced arms and he comes up next to me and he just hugs me. He's like, Kip, come on, we're going to get through this. But I need you to have faith. I need you to have faith and understand that I created doctors and medicine. I created counselors. I created science. I created you and I have given you all these things on top of my word and my words found in scripture. All of these things can work together, but I need you to hold on to me. I need you to have faith. Come on, Kip, don't be of little faith. And what I found during that time was that it takes, it takes effort to have faith. That, that, that faith just doesn't naturally happen. There are things that we need to do so we can have faith. So what I want to do is I want to press pause on the Sermon on the Mount and I want to talk about this thing called faith because I believe, and I, and, and I believe in the inter interpretation of Scripture, that it is the number one weapon against anxiety and against worry. So let's talk about that. Uh, skip over to Hebrews chapter 11. It's the great faith chapter of the Bible. And in Hebrews 11 verse 1, the writer says these words. Now, faith is being sure, circle that, sure of what you hope for, and certain, circle that, uh, uh, certain of what we do not see. Look at these two words, certain and sure. They both push against merim nous, which is that divided mind. Because your mind can't divide it when you're sure of what you hope for and certain of what you cannot see. Let's Greek out and geek out because this is pretty cool. The word for sure is hypostasis, hypostasis. And hypostasis means to build on a firm foundation, a foundation that you can stand on. 
And then certain, the word for that is elachas. And elachas means to be convicted of a reality, convinced of a reality. So let's reword this. Let's put this in the Kipster International Version. Look at this. Now, faith is about standing on the firm foundation of Jesus. That's that sure. That's that hypostasis. Being convinced that he sees what you don't or can't. That's the elachas, being convinced of a reality. You see, Jesus has this, this overall vantage point that we don't have. He's timeless, and he can look into any situation and sees all situations. Nothing surprises him. And what we try to do is we try to control everything that's coming down the pike. Control freaks of the world unite. I'm all about control. And what happens is we try to control things and events and people, and we weren't meant to do that. Jesus holds all things together. Are you sure that Jesus holds all things together? Are you convinced? Are you certain that he's going to work in his good and perfect will and the outcome will, will, will be furthered in his kingdom? But here's the thing about this. It's so important. Faith and effort, how they go together. Uh, it, in this, this, this great faith chapter of the Bible, this, there's a, a two-word phrase, by faith. It shows up 23 times. And it says basically, by faith, fill in the blank for a, the name of the person, and, and then there's something great that they do. People just like you and me, but they do something great. And a lot of times it ends up ugly for them, but by faith, they're sure of what they hope for, and they're certain of what they do not see. So there's a faith issue here that Jesus talks about. And give yourself some grace, please. Please, because it's natural. In these times, in all times, it's natural to have worry. It's natural to have anxiety. But Jesus says, wait, 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 wait. Come on, let me, let, let me saddle up next to you. Oh, you of little faith, come on. Let, let me saddle up next to you because I'm supernatural. I'm bigger than the natural. So the issue is about faith but it's also about space. The issue is about faith and space. What do I mean by that? Too often when we get anxiety and we get worry, over time, we'll develop habits. We'll, we'll have these escape routes that we develop that can be good things at first. Going to the gym, for example, exercise is a great way to handle, faith, or to handle anxiety and worry. But then that one escape route can be the one thing that we do to where we trust in ourselves in that escape route rather than the one who gives us uh, the ability to work out, the ability to do those things. Some of us can have very unhealthy escape routes. For me, it was being a workaholic. I was a, a total workaholic. I didn't want to deal with this anxiety and worry. So what I would do is I'd throw myself more and more into my work. And it caused a lot of problems in my life. It just added, it took away from that space I needed to hear Jesus. Some of you deal with addictive behaviors. Maybe you look at porn, gambling, uh, drugs, alcohol, whatever the addiction could be to, to where you don't have to face and deal with this issue of, of anxiety and of worry. I had a friend of mine I was talking to a couple days ago, and he was walking through his struggles with anxiety. And he said, Kip, I, it's like I get this victory, and that, that, that white noise goes down, and so I have white space. And then I decide to fill it back up with other stuff, and I get anxiety all over again. Well, here's the thing. 
we can create white noise in our lives to, to where our soul coffee cup has no room for cream, no room for Jesus. And what happens is we end up trusting in ourselves and those escape routes rather than trusting in Jesus who gives us the ultimate escape route in his word and having faith in him. He, so he says, oh, you of little faith, I need, you to, I need you to yoke into me. Look at these words, Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Jesus says, very famous passage here. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Then look at this. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So many of us who deal with anxiety have that high level of white noise to where we can't even hear Jesus. And that's what was going on with me when I, when I had PTSD. And I talk about it greatly in my sermon back in 2017. It's in your notes. I'm not going to go into all the details, but here's what was beautiful about that time is that God brought me a VA counselor who was amazing, a, a fellow combat veteran who had been there, done that. He'd been, he'd been doing this stuff for like 40 years and truly a great, great guy. I I was married then into a, a doctor who gave me some medicine to help me because when you have PTSD, your brain doesn't produce the chemicals that you need to produce to, to fight anxiety and worry. And all of a sudden, I'm finding that the white noise in my life that was up to here started coming down. And I had that space. I had that space to lean into my faith. All of a sudden, I'm treating people a lot differently, a lot better. My family members a lot better. And it was an amazing thing. But, but here's the thing with this great story, because it preaches well, but understand this, when you start creating white space in your life, when you start lowering those, uh, that, that, that white noise, when you yoke into Jesus, you're going to be in combat, because the enemy, Satan, hates, hates to have our minds united to where we're living in a land of even if, instead of what if. He wants us to play in the land of what if, because that's his playground, your mind can become divided. But once you get that room for cream, you're able to yoke into Jesus, to, go, to live in the land of even if instead of what if. You get to build on that firm foundation to, so you can live out those words in Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what you hope for. That means that you're standing on that foundation. And certain of what you do not see, you're convinced of the reality of Jesus. You're going to live in even if instead of what if. Your foundation is strong. And it gives you the strength to doubt your doubts in the middle of the night, in the middle of a crisis, in the middle of a marriage problem, in the middle of a crazy season in your life. You keep your mind focused and not divided. So remember our main thought, you win the battle of anxiety and worry in the margins of the mundane. So what do I mean by that? As I said earlier, you, you cannot defeat anxiety and worry in the middle of a panic attack. You can't do anything but just try to survive in the middle of a panic attack. The big events in your life reveal your faith. It's those daily events in your life where you're digging into those spiritual disciplines to help you build that foundation of faith so you can fight anxiety and worry because faith is the key element in fighting anxiety and worry. Those are the words of Jesus. So what I want to do the last few minutes of today's teaching is I really want to get practical. I want to give us some tools that we can use to fight anxiety and to fight worry. 
Okay, so let's summarize where we've been so far. We talked about we defeat anxiety by focusing on God's provision because Satan shows up to, 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 to fight us in those areas of health, wealth, and relationships. We, we need to protect our minds from being divided. We need to lower the white noise in our lives so that we can yoke into Jesus. When we yoke in to Jesus, then we can fight that good fight of faith. So I want to be, I want to talk now and spend the rest of our time talk about, talking about what it means to be rooted in Jesus, to have this rooted vision in Jesus. So let's go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, verses 33 and 40, 34. Jesus continues talking about worry. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, his kingdom and his righteousness. Underline that. It's his kingdom and his what? His what? Help me out. His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, again, a command. Here comes a command. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, remember this whole passage is tied to the issue of provision. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So another kipsterism here. When I think of seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, I, th I think about this. I, I think seek Jesus first in Christian character and conduct. Seek Jesus first in Christian character and conduct. We do that. We, we seek Jesus first and we build our Christian character and conduct by building into those discipleship essentials, those things that make us disciples of Jesus. And when we build into those things, because it takes effort, when we build into those things, our minds get transformed. And we're able to fight the good fight of faith against anxiety and worry. We're, we're, we're sure of what we hope for, and we're certain of what we do not see. The Apostle Paul helps us with this very famous verse, Romans 12, verse 2. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Press pause. See, the pattern of this world is about control. The world wants to tell us that you get victory through controlling things. And God says, no, that's, that's totally opposite of me. He, he's like, you want victory? You get victory through surrender. So do not conform any long to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, circle that, be transformed, transformed, transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, when we're rooted in Jesus and we're building into those spiritual disciplines, our minds become transformed. So let's talk about that word transform. Let's Greek out, let's geek out. The word for transform is metamorphao, used in this context, metamorphao. Metamorphao, it's where we get the English word metamorphosis. Metamorphosis means to change. I, I picture, when I think of metamorphosis, I think of a, a, a caterpillar in a cocoon that becomes a butterfly. But get this, and don't miss this, don't miss this. To get out of the cocoon, the butterfly starts moving its wings. And when it moves its wings, it breaks open the cocoon. And now it's strong enough to fly away and, and fulfill its God-given purpose. But here's the thing. If you got a butterfly in the cocoon and you see it and you decide to get your box cutter and just slice it open and let that butterfly out thinking you're doing it favors, you're not. Because it doesn't have the strength to fly. That's so true with us in matters of faith. We have to do that work so we can have the strength to fight things like anxiety and things like worry. So as I said, I want to get very practical. So being, having this, this rooted vision in Jesus, I want to talk about three primary ways we have that. And it's through scripture, prayer, and service. Three primary ways, scripture, prayer, and service. So 
Once again, the Apostle Paul is going to help us out here. And if you go to Ephesians chapter 6, he starts talking about putting on the full armor of God. And here's what's important about this. The Apostle Paul says that our, our battle is against the principalities of darkness, the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. And some of you might, right now might be saying, oh man, here we go once again, you Christians, you know, talking about hell, talking about demons, talking about, you know, this, this little dude with a red pitchfork and clothed feet going, hee, Okay, so first of all, I just want to say Jesus believes in Satan. Jesus believes in hell. Jesus believed in those demonic forces. So if Jesus believes in it, so do I. But I also want to say that many, several years ago, uh, there was a Gallup poll done on, uh, that asked Americans, do you believe in the paranormal or the supernatural? And 75%, three out of four Americans said yes. So I don't think we Christians are the only weirdos out there believing in this type of stuff. Uh, side note, Satan doesn't have like a pitchfork and red, a little red suit with horns and stuff. That's another sermon, another time. So anyway, Ephesians 6. He says that, that our battle is against the principalities of darkness. So he walks us through on how to put on the full armor of God. Look at this, verses 16 through 18. He says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. That's important. Which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind, be alert. Keep praying, keep on praying for all the saints. So he says, put on the shield of faith. So let's talk about what the, that shield looked like. The Roman soldiers didn't have this little punk Frisbee shield. They had this huge shield. It was like four feet, wide, or four feet tall and about two to three feet wide. And it was made of metal, wood, and canvas. And what would happen? They would go into combat and usually the enemy would set arrows on fire and the archers would launch those and they would stand behind this shield and those arrows wouldn't even touch them. That's important for us. Because we have to have this faith foundation when we fight worry and anxiety. And we stand on our faith. We stand behind it and those flaming arrows from the enemy come at us to divide our minds. And we're protected. And then Paul says, put on the helmet of salvation, which is so important. For a soldier, the helmet guards your brain bucket. It guards your, your mind. It guards that computer. And speaking spiritually, the helmet of salvation guards our thought life. Because what happens to us so often when it comes to worry and anxiety, we can, we can train our computer to default to the worry mode, to default to the what if mode. And he says, no, 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 guard your thought life. And then look at this, because Paul marries the helmet of salvation with the sword of the spirit. He says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. The helmet of, the, of salvation guards your thought life. The sword of the spirit is the weaponry. It's God's word. It's the weaponry for our thought battles. It's not meant to be taken and beaten on people's heads. It's meant to be turned inwardly so we get it in our minds and through our actions, it gets into our hearts. Jesus defeated Satan in the wilderness by quoting scripture. Folks, this is the first weapon that is, is so important. The reading, studying, and memorizing of God's word is essential in our fight against worry. Okay, second thing, then Paul hits on prayer. He says, pray in the spirit on all occasions. Last week, Pastor Bob delved in greatly into prayer and fasting. At the beginning of this year, we did a pray first series. It's part of our DNA here at Cornwall is to pray first. We're gonna do another prayer series uh, here in a few months. 
Here's the thing with prayer. Prayer is angelic artillery against the enemy, against those spiritual forces of darkness that just love to play in our minds when we have worry and anxiety. But it's more than that. It's spiritual communion with God in which we just get to surrender everything to him. In which we say, I don't understand, but I trust in you. I can't control this, but Jesus, you do. Something that's really helped me out in this battle of anxiety and worry is I started doing a prayer journal. And before, it's like, oh yeah, you're a pastor, you're all holy and everything. No, it's very simple. I just write down whenever I pray to God and I, and I ask God for something during the day, when he shows up and he answers prayer in his way, I always write it down. And so I can go back to that and that builds on that faith foundation so I can be sure of what I hope for and certain of what I do not see. I see him at work. So prayer is the second thing. Last but not least, last but not least is service. Service. He says, keep on praying for the saints. Keep on praying for the saints. Something incredible happens when we step outside of ourselves and we intercede for others. We pray for another person going through something. It puts life into perspective for us. But let's, let's take, us, take it one step further. Something incredible happens in our lives when we step away from our situation that's causing worry and we serve others. At Cornwall Church here, our go and be ministry is a key pillar of our church. It's where we go in love and be a light. We go and be the hands and feet of Jesus. I, I always love using my mom as an example of this uh, because, and, and many of you have heard this story before, but 10 years ago, uh, 10 years ago, I guess a couple weeks ago, my dad died. And, and 10 years ago, that day he died, mom was supposed to go in and start chemotherapy. The, the breast cancer had come back and it metastasized in her liver. They just gave her a handful of months to live. Eight years later, she's still doing chemo, and every single week, once a week for eight years, she does chemo. And so she, she would show up at the, uh, at the chemo ward, and she would call it her happy hour. And it was her time to step out of her situation and pray for people, to encourage people, including the doctors and the nurses and the staff there. And it truly changed her life. She's the example of going in love and being a light. Jesus talks about that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Sermon on the Mount. We covered this, I believe, in week two. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. God knows that our mental health is strengthened when we serve him and serve others in a healthy way. All right, scripture, prayer, and service. These are the three disciplines needed to develop that foundation to fight the good fight of faith. And as I said, I want to get very practical. So we've got a workbook that Pastor, Pastor Randy, Pastor Bill, and Pastor Bill's daughter, Kristen, she's a, a licensed therapist and counselor, put together. And, and it talks a lot, uh, uh, this Healthy Rhythms workbook talks a lot about uh, what I've talked about today. It has exercises in there. It's got scripture that you can memorize. It's a fantastic book. It's free. It's on our website. Just go to our website. It's in your sermon notes, and you can download it. All right. Anxiety, anxiety, it's real, it's real. And, and the thing that, that I believe, I don't believe anxiety is a sin in and of itself, but I think living with anxiety is because there is no way, if you're living in a constant state of anxiety and fear, living in that land of what if all the time, there is no way that you can live out those two commands that Jesus gives us, to love God with all our heart, souls, mind, and strength, and to love each other as we wanna be loved. You can't do it. Jesus wants us to have peace in our life. He came to this earth to heal us, not to shame us. He said these words in John 14, verse 27. 
He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Will you trust in God's provision? Will you, you put in that effort to keep your mind from being divided, to build up that foundation of faith, be rooted in Jesus in scripture, prayer, and service? These things happen daily. The, winning the battle of anxiety, it, it's, it's doing these spiritual disciplines daily in the margins of the mundane. Will you walk with peace in Jesus?